Zephaniah chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. The prophet writes for us here, I have heard the taunts of Moab and the revilings of the Ammonites, how they have taunted my people and made boast against their territory. Therefore, as I live, declares the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Moab shall become like Sodom and the Ammonites like Gomorrah, a land possessed by nettles and salt pits and a waste forever. The remnant of my people shall plunder them, and the survivors of my nation shall possess them. This shall be their lot in return for their pride, because they taunted and boasted against the people of the Lord of hosts. The Lord will be awesome against them, and he will famish all the gods of the earth, and to them, to him shall they bow down each in its place, all the lands of the nations. You also, O Cushite, shall be slain by my sword. And he will stretch out his hand against the north and destroy Assyria, and he will make Nineveh a desolation, a dry waste like the desert. Herds shall lie down in their midst, all kinds of beasts, even the owl and the hedgehog shall lodge in their capitals. A voice shall hoot in the window, devastation will be heard on the threshold, for her cedar work will be laid bare. This is the exultant city that lives securely, that said in her heart, I am, and there is no one else. What a desolation she has become, a lair for wild beasts. Everyone who passes by her hisses and shakes his fist. You may be seated. I pray this morning that the Lord will add to the reading and the hearing of his word. This passage primarily deals with one central issue. And it is, honestly and truly, one of the greatest issues that you and I will ever face as human beings. It is the greatest temptation. It is our quickest and most complete downfall. It is the one thing that can very quickly drive a wedge in between our relationship with our Heavenly Father. That issue that this passage deals with is pride. And he talks about pride. He mentions it by name in verse 10, but this entire passage is covering that topic. I want to read you an excerpt from a book that is named for the opposite of pride, which is humility. The author of this, some of the folks in our church have heard, he spoke at a conference that some of us were at earlier this year. His name is C.J. Mahaney, and he asked this question, why does God hate pride so passionately? He said, here's why. Pride is when sinful human beings aspire to the status and position of God and refuse to acknowledge their dependence upon Him. He goes on to write, Pride takes innumerable forms but only has one end, self-glorification. That's the motive and ultimate purpose of pride, to rob God of legitimate glory and to pursue self-glorification contending 
for supremacy with Him. The proud person seeks to glorify himself and not God, thereby attempting, in effect, to deprive God of something only He is worthy to receive. No wonder God opposes pride. No wonder He hates pride. Let that truth sink into your thinking. There are not a lot of things that we read about in the Scripture that God hates. As a matter of fact, we are talking about the same Scriptures that that speak of God as being love. And yet, we are told very clearly that God hates pride. And it is because when we exhibit pride when a group of people exhibit pride, when we take a prideful attitude, we are saying that we know better than God, and we are saying that we are no longer dependent upon Him. We go back and we see that pride is the root of sin. It was pride that caused Satan himself to rebel against God. It is pride in the Garden of Eden where The serpent, as he is talking to Adam and Eve, he tells them that if they eat of the fruit of the tree that God had told them not to, that they would not surely die. But they would become like God. And it was their desire to become like God that led them to disobey Him and break the only command that He had given And break that command that has led to our fallen state today. So pride is a problem. So I want us to look here at the pride that Zephaniah talks about and what God does in response to this pride. If you look there, beginning in verse 8, he says, I have heard the taunts of Moab and the revilings of the Ammonites, how they have taunted my people and made boast against their territory. God, speaking here, says very clearly that Moab has decided that they are going to taunt the people of God. The Ammonites, who were the enemy of God's people, began to taunt them and make fun of them, began to come against them for their position with God. This pride that is exhibited here is external pride. It's the type of pride that thinks that everyone else is, in essence, terrible. We have all dealt with this type of pride in our life, and we have all seen people and been around people who had this type of pride. The only thing that they could do is to put other people down. That was their option. That was their chosen means of pride, is to put other people down for what they were doing. It may be out of jealousy, as I would say it is in the case of Moab. Here are people who are not God's chosen people. They have not been given a promised land by God. And so their only and natural reaction is to respond by taunting God's people. This external pride seeks to bring other people low. Friends, that's the way our world very often works. We have been taught that to get ahead, 
we must bring other people down. A case in point that struck me very clearly a couple of years ago in seminary, we were talking about two different doctoral programs. The one that I was in was, was based on a, a group of people who worked together for the course of three years to complete their program. There are people who became good friends of mine, people who I still talk to on a weekly basis. But the other doctoral program was described to us one time and by people who are in it, and they were surprised because we got along so well. And he said, you know, in our program, our entire goal as we are looking at each other's work is, is often about tearing each other's work down. And I was struck by that because it was at seminary. We weren't at the public school. We weren't at Chapel Hill or UNCC or NC State or somewhere where there would be that natural fierce competition, but we were in seminary. And the unfortunate part about much of what we have done in the world is we have taught each other that if we tear each other down, that if we show our pride by bringing other people low, then that is how we would get ahead. And that is what the people of Moab, that is what the Ammonites try to do. They want to bring God's people low by their taunts. They have a pride that is external. But look secondly here at the internal pride of the Assyrian people. The internal pride of the Assyrian people. Look in verse 15. They lived securely. They said in their heart, I am, and there is no one else. They didn't have to go around tearing other people down. They were so awesome. They were so great. The Assyrians believed themselves so wonderful that, that they didn't need anybody else. They didn't need anything else. They were completely self-sufficient you know, when I, when I read this, this passage in particular draws me back to the mindset of our country so often. Do you realize that with 320 million people in our country, we make up just a small fraction of the world? And yet, we are the most powerful nation. We have the strongest military. We have the most nuclear weapons. We have the most money. We have the most innovation. We have the smartest kids in school, regardless of what they try to say. Every time we mess with test scores, of course, they're going to go down. And they're going to go here and there and the other. We have the smartest people in the world, and they live right here. We're pretty great, right? But on occasion, we begin to get in, in our mind that we don't need anybody else. That we can do without the people of Nineveh, the people which Nineveh is the capital of Assyria, they are a strong people. They have conquered most of the known world, and so they live securely. They believe they are a part of this great city which cannot be destroyed. They even say in verse 15, I am and there is no one else. If you know anything about the Old Testament, you realize that saying that term, I am, is a pretty big deal. When Moses is speaking to the burning bush and he asks God, he says, who should I tell them has sent me? 
When he's going to go before his people in Egypt, he's going to go before Pharaoh and ask that Pharaoh would would free uh, the people of Israel, that he would let them go from their slavery. He asks God, who do I tell them has sent me? And God says, tell them, I am. If you go to the New Testament, Jesus says countless times over and over again, I am and then something else. I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's a big deal when you say that I am. And here, the people of Assyria believe themselves to be completely self-sufficient, needing no one else. Friends, that is a huge pride problem. If you're here this morning and you believe that you can do it on your own and you need no one else, you are completely mistaken. God has called us together, not apart. He has called us to be one in Christ, to be a family, to be a body. So we can't do it on our own. It's completely impossible. But the Assyrian pride, this internal pride, was one that believed that they were completely self-sufficient. If the Moabites, if the people from Moab believed that everyone else is terrible, then the Assyrians believed, hey, we are awesome. We see that happen too often in our society. And it's a pride that is not pleasing to God. So what happens? What happens with their pride? We'll go back and look in verse 9. He's talked about their pride, and he says, Therefore, because they have been prideful, therefore, as I live, declares the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Moab shall become like Sodom, and the Ammonites like Gomorrah. What does that mean? It means I'm going to utterly destroy them. He says, I'm going to destroy their pride. I'm going to destroy them because of their pride. And as a matter of fact, once I destroy them because of their pride, look at the end of verse 9, the remnant of my people, the very people they were taunting, the very people that they believed they were better than, the remnant of my people shall plunder them, and the survivors of my nation shall possess them. This shall be their lot in return for their pride. They taunted and believed they were great. And yet God is going to come in and when He does and when He passes judgment on them because of their pride, there's going to be nothing left. They're going to be completely and utterly destroyed. He says in verse 11, the Lord will be awesome against them and He will famish all the gods of the earth and to Him shall bow down each in its place all in the lands of the nations. The people who surrounded the nation of Israel, they worshipped all of these false gods. And he pictures this as when he comes in and executes judgment because of their pride. All of these false gods are going to bow down. And I think, interestingly enough, the God that will bow down the quickest, that will be famished the fastest, will be the God of pride. He's going to starve them. And they'll be gone. 
That's Moab. Look at what he does with Nineveh. Verse 13, he will stretch out his hand against the north and destroy Assyria and will make Nineveh a desolation, a dry waste like the desert. Friends, this is a part of this prophecy that has already happened. In 612 B.C., Nineveh was destroyed. Nineveh was destroyed. The Assyrian Empire is no more. It has fallen. And Nineveh is left a dry waste like a desert. As a matter of fact, in this time when it was destroyed, herds began to lie down in the midst like beasts. Even the owl and the hedgehog, and just to give you some clarity, the Hebrew here is difficult to translate, so hedgehog is the best guess. Some rodent, some beast that would not be allowed in this prestigious city now comes and makes its lodging. How embarrassing is that? That this city that thought it was great and powerful, that thought it was self-sufficient and didn't need anything, now it finds itself occupied by undesirable animals. They now live there instead of the people who lived with pride. A voice shall hoot in the window. Devastation will be on the threshold, for her cedar work will be laid bare. The city is destroyed. It is removed. And he says at the end of verse 15, what a desolation she has become. A lair for wild beasts. Everyone who passes by her hisses and shakes his fist. What a sad state of affairs. What a sad place these nations and these people have become. They had risen up against God in their pride. They had stood before God and His people and they had spit in His face. They had worshipped gods that were false. And now, look at what has happened. Friends, this is the very thing that happens in the life of all who are prideful. It's the very thing. When pride creeps into our lives, our lives end up a desolation. When pride creeps into our lives, we stand there and we are mocked because our lives become destroyed. I like to say that pride comes before the fall. And that's what happens. We've seen it in our own country. We've seen it throughout history. In whatever circumstance, when pride begins to consume the lives of people, they are on the precipice of destruction. Because when pride creeps into our lives, we become complacent. We begin to rely on ourselves. We begin to trust in our bank accounts or in our jobs. And it does not take long before those things are wiped away. 
And even if you could point to someone who lived a life full of pride and who never had to pay in this world for the pride that they had, let me promise you that in the life to come, the punishment is infinitely greater. Because God hates pride. But there is something different. There is another way. Peter says in 1 Peter 5, he says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Pride has no place in our hearts as believers in Christ. We truly and utterly have nothing to be proud about. I was watching yesterday a, a debate between an atheist and a Christian. The Christian was Alistair McGrath. He's an Oxford professor. The atheist was Christopher Hitchens, who was a writer and, and very intelligent man, well-renowned atheist. And they were debating the topic of whether or not religion is good. Whether or not religion is good. And of course, Christopher Hitchens, as the atheist, was taking the position that not only is God not real, but belief in God is dangerous and bad. And he began to talk about the immoralness of Christianity. And the, the crux of his argument, the basis foundation for his argument, is that Christianity is immoral because we are, we are compelled to believe in a God who required a human sacrifice for salvation. And he's completely right about that being what we are required, what we are compelled to believe, to have faith in God and a relationship with Him. But he misses the boat because of this very fact. In Christopher Hitchens and in the mind of humanist, atheist, Human beings at their core are essentially good. At our core, we essentially have no need for redemption. But the Bible paints for us a completely different story. If in Genesis chapter 3, our first parents had not sinned, if they had obeyed God, and from then till now we had all obeyed God, we would have a perfect, unending relationship with our Creator. But because we did not, because we sinned and fell short of the glory of God, we are in need of redemption. We are in need of salvation. We are in need of a sacrifice that would last once for all time. Christopher Hitchens was right. We 
very much believe in a God who sent His Son and who died in our place. Theologically speaking, God took our sins and placed them on Christ. And He died the death that we deserved to die. It's because He lived the life that we never lived. So with all of that in mind, with the fact that we were unworthy of a relationship with God, and yet He sent His Son to die in our place, a sacrifice for our sins, because He loved us with a love that was so great that He was willing to send His Son to die. If we keep that in mind, if we put that at the forefront of our thoughts, how then could we be prideful? Because we have received a free gift one that we could not earn on our own, one that we would never deserve, one that we could never work for. And so, friends, as believers in Christ, how could we ever be prideful? What do we have to be prideful about? We might look at this world. We might see our accomplishments. We might hold them up against others and realize that we, by the world standards, are doing far better. But for the believer in Christ, the thing that matters most in life is our relationship with God. All other things are secondary. The relationships we have with others, the job that we have, the money that we have, our position in society is all secondary to the relationship that we have with God. So therefore, what, what do we have to be prideful about? Friends, this morning, we need to realize that pride is a sin that we all deal with. None of us are adequately humble. None of us are in a position where we could look around and say, hey, we're more humble than everybody else. Because if we did, that would show our exceeding pride. And yet pride is a sin that we often do not deal with. Sometimes God deals with that sin, and He does so sometimes graciously toward us and sometimes not so much. Sometimes we have to be brought low because of our pride. But friends, I want to encourage you this morning. If you do not take time in your prayer life, in your scripture reading, in your worship to deal with pride, then it is a sin that will quickly get away from you. Remember what Pastor Mahaney said when we think we know better. It's when we aspire to be God. It's when we take this book and we say, that's good, but I think. That's good, but I'm going to do this. I'm glad God said that, but times have changed. 
I'm glad God said that, but we live in a different world. Friends, God's Word is still the only truth we can rely on. And it's our pride. It's our pride that says we know better than God. Listen, I don't want you this morning to, to come down here and pray so that everybody looks and goes, hey, he's got a pride problem. Because we could look at all of you and say, hey, you've got a pride problem. I don't want you to pray some prayer that makes you feel good until you hit the back door. I want to encourage you that if we don't deal daily with our pride, we will begin to drift further and further away from our God. And we will begin to say more and more, God, I know better than you. If we deal with our pride, a lot of the other stuff we're dealing with is just going to fade away. If we deal with our pride, a lot of the other sins that we're entangled in will no longer be a problem. If we deal with our pride, a lot of those things that keep us from the relationship with God that we want will fade away and we will draw humbly closer to our Creator. God hates pride. He doesn't dislike it. He doesn't not really like if you don't if you do it. He doesn't just excuse it. He doesn't just wipe it away. He doesn't ignore it. God hates our pride. And he loves our humility. Let's pray and approach him humbly this morning. Heavenly Father, God, we God, I'm just glad that I'm glad that you point out our sin. God, it's it's hard to hear. It makes us uncomfortable. God, but I realize that the problem of pride is a daily battle. It's a battle in my heart. It's a battle in the hearts of the people here. God, we, we just get it in our head that we can do it, that we can make it, that we can accomplish something on our own, that we can do great things in and of ourselves. We, we try it as a church. We try it as people. We try it in our families. And God, it doesn't work. And so my hope is this morning as we, we pray that, God, you just humble us. God, for, for some here, that'll be easy. For others, it's going to be harder. God, for me, it, God, it's, it's going to take a lot. But God, I pray that you would humble us. That you would remind us that you're God. You are the Alpha and the Omega. Omega, you are the Creator. You have given us life and you have died for us and we can show none of that. God, remind us as we wake up in the morning. Remind us as we see the beauty of your creation. Remind us as we encounter those around us who 
are lost and have great need, God, remind us. Remind us when we see our families. Remind us, God, when we are fully dependent on you. God, remind us. God, I'm glad you hate pride. Because it took you sending your son who humbled himself. God, he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. If your son had been proud, we would have no hope. But God, help us. Help us to follow his pattern of humility. Help us to be obedient. God, there's some here who their pride has kept them from coming to you. Their pride has kept them from ever trusting in you. God, they believe they can do it on their own, and yet they walk through life with no hope. God, they're here this morning. God, prick their heart. Show them that the only hope they have is in you. God, break down our pride this morning. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand with me this morning. Uh, We're going to sing. And during this time, as we sing, whether it's in your seat or you want to pray at the front, I I just ask that, that we would all pray. We would pray today as a beginning of our prayers for God to give us humble hearts and to remove our pride. Would you respond this morning as we sing?